Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cyclocross Social Podcast. It's a wrap for the Cyclocross season and we will be closing the curtains as well discussing the Exact Cross in Sydney class, the X2O Trophy in Brussels and the Sluitingsprijs in Oostmalle. The road season has already kicked off as well with a couple of star performances by Cyclocross riders so we'll be analyzing that as well in the second half of this podcast. With me here to do that is Issam. Isam, thank you for being here. It's my understanding you've been uh, pretty sick this week, and that is why we couldn't record last week. How are you doing now? Well, I, I cannot complain, to be honest. I'm doing better than I was doing in the entirety of the week, to be honest. I think the start of the weekend, I, I'm feeling a bit, little bit better, so all good, all by all. And uh, indeed, it was my fault <laughs> that we didn't record last week, and uh, but we are now here. In full force, so uh, let's uh, let's tackle the the podcast. Well, luckily, it's not the most important time of the season. I mean, a lot of riders have already called it a day, resting, tired, just all the factors that you can name already on the road, already on the mountain bike. Um, it's normal, so in a sense, it's good that it happened now and not during the week of the World Championships. That would have been a very bitter pill. Let's start with the first of the three races we'll cover, the exact course in Sydney class. The men's race. Michael Van Turenhout got a gap in the first lap already. Elisabeth dropped that gap and Van Turenhout from there pretty much, well, I wouldn't say cruised because he had to work for it, but was able to take the victory pretty comfortably. Behind that was a bigger battle for second place. Visure was in that battle together with Elisabeth, Lars van der Haar, Niels van der Putte, Tom van der Bos was there for a while and the returning Toon Aerts. In the final lap, Elisabeth, how else was it, could it have ended, took that second place. The 1-2 farming season for Paul Saus is truly on. Van der Haar sprinted to third place. Isam, it's, as I said, farming season for Paul Sauze. This is their moment to farm some nice one-twos to put in their stat kit, which they can send to sponsors next year. I mean, Bingle is going to need to be replaced, I think, after next season. There's some weird stuff going on with that rule about no betting sponsors in Belgium. But, I mean, they can stat pad now. And, uh, yeah, it, it's not really weird because he's a bit, I mean, super consistent from Tourenard back in form. These are just two of the best full-time cyclocross riders there are. Yeah, currently, definitely, that is the case. And um, maybe there were some talks uh, after Middle Kerker where we saw Van Turenhout that was a little annoyed by the way Ezerbeet was racing. So, yeah, we, we saw an Ezerbeet that was that was trying to, to help his teammate out and he did a great job in, in that regard. And, yeah, I think in the end, um, clearly you can see that those two from what is left, yeah, in a way, um, they are they are the strongest, and there is not really someone that is able to get in their way. They are the ones that get in the way of of, of the riders, and they can kind of almost decide who who wins it. And they really played it uh, perfectly there. The team tactics in uh, in Sydney class, good execution. And you said some annoyance in Middelkerke between the two. There was a bit more of a kink in the cable between the two in Brussels a day later. I mean, they continued their one-two farming. But this time, when um, Van Turenhout was bridging the gap, because Isabit was in the lead with Nieuwenhuis, Isabit shouted to the staff alongside the course that Van Turenhout should not pace. Um, but later on, that was cleared out in the interview. Isabit said, well, obviously, I'm only like seeing glances on the Jumbotron, so I didn't know he was alone. And once he was there, we played it well. 
So it all seems professional and maybe we're just all hungry for a bit of spice because the races were, well, I mean, especially Brussels was not bad, but Sydney class definitely was not that entertaining. Fortuna just at the front alone for an hour, fast course, very fast course. I think the average speed was something like 29 kilometers per hour, not many corners. It was almost like a road race and I mean... Benidorm gets criticized for being so fast, but Cindy Class here in that regard was not much better. Um, a couple of notes. Uh, I talked about full-time cyclocross riders. Pim Ronhaar wasn't there. He was sick and it is season, therefore, in Lille. In the pre-ride of Cindy Class, Jens Adams, another full-time cyclocross rider, crashed on the metal barrier there was where they jump over and then you land on the tarmac. It's always pretty risky, but Adams... He landed too much on his front wheel and then fell forward, broke his collarbone, was taken by ambulance, but eventually it was not too complicated, his collarbone injury, and luckily for him, his contract with Athletes for Hope has been extended with one season. Somebody's come into a bit of form here in the final part of this season, well, I can't really talk about form. Somebody who's regressed less than the rest in this final part of the season, Lars van der Haar, he sprinted to a third place in Sydney class and Osmala today he was in contention for the win sprinted to second place there and I do want to ask you a question about Van der Haar not necessarily these results because they don't mean too much to a rider of the caliber of Van der Haar but Van der Haar this season it's been all right he's been up there but there's a couple of other riders banging on the door do you think that we will see Van der Haar make a step again and that we can see him fight with the full-time cross riders with Ron Haar, with Nice, with Nieuwenhuis or have we slowly seen the final decline of Van der Haar set in that really last year was his last season really really up there and fighting for the big victories it's hard to say I think that you you might be looking into a season where he can you know where he has to be more careful choosing his races and make sure that you just be a little bit smarter with with the choices also with your standings and stuff and I think that Van der Haar has the experience to do that and to be honest already kind of did this season it's I don't expect really an improvement from from what we have seen and as you said probably that season was yeah that's probably not going to be topped in terms of form and the way he was racing overall I think that this season was definitely from his perspective and his, his I was very solid. A uh, very good season in my eyes, but you cannot stop it in a career, especially at the age where he is and probably the the later parts of his career, you know, it's 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 getting closer and closer to an end for him, I feel, and as a professional for sure and at the level that he wants to be. So I feel that next year it's it's hard to say what is going to happen, but it wouldn't surprise me if we see somewhat similar results and maybe a, a somewhat um, even smarter approach in terms of really choosing your races, knowing which ones will be better for you and you know, be very hard in those decisions also. A ticking clock, age from the higher racing age this year, 33. Time doesn't wait for anybody. I do still find it a bit weird what happened to him this season because in the beginning of the season he was up there he won that race in Maasmechelen he was really good on the Koppenberg I think he could have won that race 
Then at Europeans, he was good. He could have become European champion, but he messed up his start. He crashed too many times. And then after that, it just slowly went downhill. Is this because he maybe did too many races? He needs to choose more? Or he already made a bunch of choices. So I'm thinking maybe there's been a bit of an illness or something that happened that really impacted the second half of his season. It's obviously going to be difficult, but I believe in at least one more year of the Haar fighting it out there up front. And, I mean, what his role in the team will be, that's going to be up for debate with Nijs, Ronhaar and Nieuwhuis. It's obviously going to be super difficult to be the leader he was before, but I don't think he has a problem when he isn't that anymore. In Sydney class, he outsprinted Tone Arts, and we have to talk about him in some of the comeback kid, Tone Arts. He's been out two years. He tested positive for Letrozol in 2022. Ask for your opinion in a bit, but I'll go first. I personally don't have anything against him coming back. The rules are the rules. They are in place. They said that Tone Arts had a non, non-intended doping violation, whatever that means, but... This is the procedure they came up with. I'm all for giving people chances to return to the sport, so I'm not against it. But I do have serious question marks around his story because he tested positive at the end of the 2022 season. And it took super long to solve everything. In the meanwhile, his contract with Balwaza Trek got terminated mutually, but I think they really just wanted him out. And... They gave a press conference. I remember it very well. It was the day after Dijem 2021 or 2022 Dijem. And I had been up editing the podcast till 1.30. Woke up the next morning. All press gathered. Tonart gives a press conference. Hair is long and they build their defense against the case. They say it's unfair. Tonart's system is wrong. Tonart is innocent. We've tested an open container. Open container of his supplement shows it's contaminated. Hair samples show that the letrozole has been in his body longer. He's just unlucky. We can't find a closed container which has letrozole in it. Which immediately gives me alarm bells. Like, if your open container is contaminated, but you test like 10, 15 closed containers and they're all clean, hmm, that's weird. Like, okay, sure, something can be wrong, but this is where you build your case on. They built their case on this. The media was on their side. Nobody asked a single tough question. And then all of a sudden, I'm cycling in Limburg uh, this year. I get a push notification. Sari Bosside, same management as Stone Arch, test positive for Letrozole as well. All of a sudden, this container supplement story goes out of the bin. No, it wasn't the container, even though that was apparently contaminated. He was in Flamanville and he ate dairy products there. And then they came with some far-fetched conspiracy about cows there getting hormones and that prevents the cows from getting their period. But it does mean that there is a possibility of letrozole coming in their milk or whatever they do with the milk. And Art was there and he must have ate it before the World Cup. It, it just doesn't add up with their story because they've been telling me, oh, letrozole is super rare, you hardly ever find it in anything... And all of a sudden, I need to believe that he had a contaminated container because the open container was contaminated. But he also ate contaminated dairy products in Flamanville because his teammate tested or his management mate tested positive there later. Like, it doesn't add up. And if there's then one critical column coming out and that gets removed within three hours, it just doesn't make sense to me. I, I, 
I get frustrated about that. That just doesn't make sense to me. But again, I don't have anything against Arch, and I think it's good that he comes back, and all that was nice to see. No, I think I, I have a similar stance, to be honest. I mean, it's um, he got the two years. There were no earlier issues in terms of uh, any previous doping use or something like that, so I think that the two years were fair. He was not able to defend himself in such a way that he could prove that he didn't use it intentionally. I think that the UCI or at least the, the doping authority had said something in the in, uh, in the lines of that it is visible that he didn't use it with intent of, of using it and that it was just there. And I feel that, as you said, the press definitely had a responsibility, in my opinion, to question him a little bit harder. I feel that they gave him an easy route is maybe something not not really the well placed because obviously he had the two years and that's I would imagine a very difficult situation for a rider especially if you believe in your innocence but it is a weird story in a way especially the way they change stories a couple of times and in the end you know to see him come back in a way as as if He's some sort of a hero. Is for me a little difficult to uh, to look at, um, and not only uh, by by the fans because I can definitely understand that they had to wait for two years to see their favorite rider come back, which I totally understand. But more so the media, the way they saw his return as a sort of a, I don't know, <laughs> it was so <laughs> it was a bit crazy to see in a way uh, how how they dealt with it. But I can understand it. Um, he took such a stance and it was very quickly that the media chose his side of the story as you said he did the two years so i don't think that we have to talk about it too much it is a weird story in the end and i hope that it doesn't happen again because it would damage the sport and himself definitely even more and you know mentally a rider can go through a lot but that would be i think a little bit too much for a rider so yeah i just hope that he can uh, stay away from it and uh, uh, don't uh, get into some trouble. Yeah, it was nice to see so many fans get out for his return, especially for a race like Sydney Class, which is normally pretty dead in terms of spectators. I think there were like five touring car buses that came and they were making music and stuff. So that was nice to see. But yeah, as you say, the comeback became a bit of a circus and it just bothers me that zero critical questions were asked because the story just doesn't add up. There was one critical question opinion piece written in the biggest paper at last in use or it was only in their web version that got deleted like within hours that was it there were no critical questions when it doesn't add up i just named a couple of things but in their defense they also used like the hair samples which proved that he the letrozole was already in his body longer and that his test while having that in his body were negative so it must have been something with the test but then that again doesn't add up that he would have only gotten it in Flamanville because he was in Flamanville like three weeks or something before the the cyclocross, uh, um, before the test. That was two weeks before the World Championships, three weeks before the positive test. Like, it just doesn't add up. And then to make such a show from it and, oh, he's so much things have gone wrong been done wrong to him it's like no i don't really like it i'll probably be blacklisted by uh, his manager prevost now which is completely fine i couldn't care less i just wanted to put it out there so i can talk about the racing because he had many fans in support he needed to start on the last row and the racing by arts was actually pretty good he moved up fairly quickly he was in the battle for the podium you could definitely see he was still a bit rusty which is normal if you haven't been racing in 
two two years. I would be worried if he would be way further back because he is in peak form here. The rest is tired, but I don't really have a reason to doubt why Arts wouldn't be able to compete for victories next season. He was up there in um, Sydney class, just missed the podium. In Brussels, he definitely had more issues, wasn't really in contention for the podium, but still got a good result. But then, again, Osmola today, he crashed in one of the first laps and broke his nose and is concussed. So hopefully he's doing all right because you, yeah, obviously that's something you wish to nobody. And again, I really don't have anything against Arch. The story just didn't add up. But yeah, I have no reason to doubt that Arch next season will be in contention for victories again. Yeah, definitely, you know, the talent hasn't gone away and the potential also not. It's just, you know, the question kind of was, was he able to get himself through the two years in some physical condition? And was he able to keep on training while you know, at that moment for him, especially everything is kind of against you or feels against you. And I think that he did a good job in that uh, in that regard. There are a lot of riders that are not able to do that and that come back in, in, in way worse condition and have to build up again. And I feel that he, you know, definitely tried to be there from the get-go and he, he showed that. Big shame that in then in Osmala he had that crash and it seems that it's not a not a not a pretty one. And he has to recover from that obviously, but for next season I feel that he is definitely one of the guys that can um get himself in, in top fives and you know, victory is maybe something that I that that could definitely happen on the courses that he likes a little bit more. Yeah? The the muddy courses, the courses that are super tough. But we have to wait and see because obviously uh, there are some uh, younger riders that are also getting better and with the age they will also mature a little bit more. So that will be interesting to see how he will be with those guys. And don't forget, it's the end of the season, yeah? so it looks all, <laughs> a little bit better than, than it maybe would have been somewhere mid-season. So it's going to be interesting. Then the women's race in Sydney class, uh, really not much to say. Conditions were good. Brandt attacked after like two or four minutes and yeah, really, really easily took that victory. Second place went to Verdonschot, who had to fight a little bit against Worst, who ended third. Really, really not much to say there. It was a walkover, I would even dare to say, for Brandt. Again, as we expected, she would take a couple of Ws here, a couple of wins, a couple of victories in the end of the season. It was good. And the same can't really be said for all the others there, but it was not really that relevant. It's the end of the season. And Brandt, where it was easy in Sydney class, the next day in Brussels it was not easy. She had a lot of technical issues. The opposition was able to handle the muddy conditions in Brussels. Completely different race circumstances there. A lot better. Especially the big off-camber. Brandt had some issues there in the first half of the race. She had issues in the grass section where she kept riding even though she would have been faster off running just the line choices the decisions to try and ride everything at any cost didn't really work out for her she was chasing and then she went back into the lead by her power and then she made mistakes and then Betsima took the lead Betsima master of that big off camera but faded in the second half of the race and that really was the story the first half of the race was who was able to adapt to these conditions the best because they were different than in the pre-ride Oh, okay. And then once everybody figured out what the good lines were, and they're mostly taken by Betsema, give credit where credit is due, they copied that, and from there on it just became who's the strongest, and that was Brandt who took the win ahead of Riberol. I mean, <laughs> Riberol was pretty strong, but had a weird dip in the penultimate lap, and 
eventually had to settle, settle for second with her teammate Bucker taking third. That was a pretty entertaining race, actually, some mainly due to the weather conditions there. Yeah, it definitely was, and it's also a course that uh, is quite uh, tricky and, and, and definitely not a course that you um, get in front of you as a rider many times this season, in a season. So, yeah, it, it was it was difficult to, to, to manage to get through it. And I think that, as you said, it was really a, a matter of trying to figure it out. And the moment it was figured out, it was kind of, we went back to the to kind of the the, the, the the strength that we know from from the riders and the orders were, were kind of set at that point and Brandt was able to secure victory and I think that that was um, it was in the end for, for Brandt you can say that it was a bit of a shame this season that she had that collarbone injury and that she had to recover from it and you know missed out on, on a part of the season but recovered quite well and was in my opinion definitely was able to make something out of this season and it looks it looked quite good so hopefully you know we can see something <laughs> we can see some great things from from Brandt on the road season and also next year we can still see her compete at the front because I think that she still has a couple of years in her yeah it's been a good second half of the season I would I don't know. There's been some speculation. Is she the second best rider of the season? Silver medal at world, second in the victory ranking. I would probably take Alvarado over her because I don't attach that much value to these wins here. But nevertheless, it's been a good season. She moved to Belgium this season in the winter. I don't know if it's also for the summer, but she's moved to the campus so she can train more cross and seemingly worked out pretty well for her. It was a big decision for her to leave her hometown, Dordrecht, so... Yeah, it's uh, been a good season for her. Definitely good to see her come back from that uh, broken wrist last year and broken collarbone in the beginning of this season. I would like to say that things look good for Ribeiro and Bakker, as I would expect on a course like this. Furthermore, Zemanova raced, but she had a tough weekend. Um, I think somebody in her family died leading up to the weekend, but she still wanted to race to finish off the season, but things didn't go well. Doesn't matter that much. Anyway, it's really not a something here that I draw any major conclusions to. Same uh, for the men's race where we had a leading trio. We already went over what happened between Isabit and Van Turenhout. Nieuwhuis was up there. He was battling with them for the entire race, was mostly in the lead, and then got dropped in the penultimate lap when he made a mistake. Van Turenhout made another mistake, then Isabit was gone for victory. Yeah, um, Nieuwhuis, tactically maybe not the best race, but... In my opinion, what more could he have done? It, on this course, the course in Brussels is a bit of a joke. It's like yeah, obstacle, 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 uh, technical here, off-camber here. It's a bit of a circus course. And what more can Nieuwhuis do? If he's not in the lead, he's 100% going to be team-tacted by Paul Sauzer. So my opinion was his best shot. Just go all out and hope he drops them. Didn't work out. Doesn't matter. It was the final race of his season. C'est ça. Yes, it's, uh, I think that it is in the end. Uh, there's there's no much he can do about it, and I feel that he is definitely very happy that the season has come to an end for him because he didn't uh, show up in the last weekend in Ostmalle. I think that for him it was you know he kind of tried to make the best out of it with the form that he had in the end of the season. It looked quite good, but I think that for him the season is uh, yeah it, it 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 was just coming to an end, and he felt it and. 
he, you know, in, in, in Brussels, there was not much he could do, as you said, because if you would sit in the wheels, they would do the same thing that they did in St. Niklaus and uh, leave leave the gaps, uh, and rightfully so. Eh? You have to uh, make use of the numbers that you have at the front, and they would have done that, so he had to pace at the front and try to put them under pressure and hope for, for, for some cracks in their game, but, you know, it wasn't meant to be for him, and... I think that the best was out of him at that point already in terms of his form. And I feel that if you, look, if we can look back on, on his season, I definitely feel that you can say that it was a very strong season. It was There were some doubts in the beginning, you know, the way he got himself through it and definitely some of the races he showed himself that he was able to be the best of the rest behind Van der Poel. It's difficult to say, you know, where you can place it if Ezerbeet is 100% and where he could if he could challenge him or not. Uh, but I definitely feel that it would be very close. If not, he would have been better. So I feel that he can be very proud of his season and it's great that he made the decision to go full-time cyclocross. And, you know, it's going to be exciting to see him back next year. Yeah, definitely. And it was pretty good all around this season, especially from November onwards. He really was the best full-timer over the entire season. Maybe we would say he's a beat, but both of them really had good seasons and probably if you look over the course of the entire season Nieuwenhuis van Toevenhout and Iserbeet were the three best full-time cyclocross riders yes from, yes, I do name van Toevenhout yes it's heavily influenced by that world championships medal and European championship title but I do think that based on those performances he deserves it also on the podium at the Belgian championships so he really did peak at the right moment and did stat pad a little bit or enough on the other sides of the season to be considered for me but I do want to say Tone Arts in fourth place I already went over him a bit but I would like to still now we're talking about it uh, gave me the thought that he really did fight hard for it and he struggled a lot technically which is not weird in these conditions difficult course difficult off cambers difficult sections uh, Weird sections around the place where people normally come to picnic. It was kind of a washboard up, washboard down. But he did what he could. He fought super hard. At some point he dropped to 6th, 7th. And then he rode back all the way to 4th and took that place, which is good. And, I mean, there was quite some fighting going on from out riding all the way to the line. Eventually taking 3rd place in the X2O trophy overall over Cam Mason, who ended 10th. Mason rode on... Twitter X, I must say, that he really felt tired in the second half of the season and he's going to try and figure that out for next year. But he's learned a couple of things. It's not weird, we can't forget that Mason, despite being a second year U23, or second year elite, sorry, he's not U23 anymore. He's never done a full cyclocross season like this, so I guess uh, you win some, you lose some, and overall his feeling of the season will probably be... I don't know, will he be satisfied? He definitely has a couple of positives to take from it. He didn't do Oostmala. Oostmala wasn't broadcasted, so... Well, eventually it was broadcasted, but it wasn't announced. It was then on PlaySports, which is a paid channel we can't receive in the Netherlands. So, just give you a brief summary. Men's race went down to a sprint. Niels van der Putte won a very good ending for the season. For him with two victories, Lars van der Haar was second, Isabi third. Brandt attacked in the final lap and won the women's race ahead of Laura for Donschot with third place there going to Manon Bakker. Okay, so then we go to the road. 
because uh, that's starting. Apparently, uh, some so-called opening weekend took place here. Omloop Nieuwsblad, Kuhne Brussels, Kuhne. Nah, I'm just kidding. It's always fun. I really love the spring classics. Probably my favorite part of the road cycling season. Always action-packed. And this year was no different. Let's start with the woman. Because uh, we had a couple of star performers there in Omloop Nieuwsblad. In the end, four-woman group was fighting for the win in that group. Marianne Vos and Shirin van Androoy. Vos um, had surgery to... Um, one of her arteries going down to her legs. Those had become too narrow. That influenced her cross season last year. She then underwent surgery again. And uh, it looks to have worked out super well. Because not only did she win that race in the sprint. She was also able of following Lotte Kopecki on the Muur van Gerardsbergen and the Bosberg. Without any problems even. Yeah, that was really cool to see to be honest. I mean, it's um, a legend of the sport that is still racing. And... Um... Uh, it wasn't the easiest uh, last couple of years, but she, you know, managed to get through it, and and it looked very good in in the omloop. And being able to follow Kopecki, there are not that many that are able to do so, especially on these type of climbs. And yeah, it looked it looked very good overall. It was she was always up there, you know, and she was able to position herself in the right positions, and uh, also the way how she eventually got herself in the final super strong so it was uh from yeah from her side super strong race and um i think the women's race was um, great to watch we got kind of an elite group with some of the best riders that were uh, of, of the start field that that were able to get themselves there to the front and um when you when you have a course with <laughs> the muur and then the bosberg you always have uh, exciting you know, it, it, not always, but the the racing can can sometimes be very exciting, and it was uh, great to watch uh, how it ended up. You can never write off Voss. I mean, <laughs> I think almost everybody has made the mistake of some point saying, "Oh, Voss is done." It. I made the mistake myself the season before she came world champion at Fayetteville, even especially in cross. There, I said, oh, it's time to focus on the road, leave it to the youngsters and cross." And well. I could eat those words at the end of the season. That was not my proudest moment, but I feel like everybody has written off Foss at some point. But every time she manages to prove you wrong, she comes back every single time. It takes such mental toughness to do that, and you can only admire that. So I heard the positive reports from, oh, the recovery is going better than expected. Maybe we'll do one or two cross races. I think it's a wise decision they didn't do that, but it looked good now, and hopefully it will make the women's races more entertaining because last season we had a bunch of sd works walkovers one twos one threes it just wasn't that fun but now with false if they can't drop her on the climbs in flanders you have a very very dangerous opponent with you you can't just oh we'll just drop everybody or we'll drop everybody who can beat lotte kopecki in a sprint you don't have that situation anymore then which would make it highly entertaining for us viewers and I definitely hope that's the case she won it looked good Kopecki says she will improve a few percentage points I wonder what will happen with Foss I think next week in Strade Bianchi we'll get another idea it's a race that's maybe a bit too much climbing for her, but we'll see another rider that was in that front group cyclocross rider was a Van Androoy Sam. I have to say, I was impressed by her. She was injured in the cross season, barely was able to do any cross racing due to that. She broke her rib in a crash on training, a very unfortunate crash in the sand, hit her her stem when she crashed. It took some while to recover from that. She had uh, back issues due to that as well. 
She was very, very insecure starting the season, didn't really know what to expect, had a bunch of pain when she was walking, when she was riding, but it went well, she was up there. I was surprised to not only see her up there, but especially on the Muur van Gerardsberg to see her follow. She just about hung on to Kopecki and Vost there. She got slightly dropped on the Bosberg, but managed to come back. She was up there with Elisa Longo-Borghini, her teammate. They rolled attacks. I mean, the outcome, not really that relevant. She was fourth. They tried what they could at Little Trek. But for me, it's more about the performance, that she was up there. Cobalt climbed, not really the speciality of an Android. We know she can do it, but I think she's even better in the paved climbs, like we will see in Liège. But yeah, it looked very, very good. <laughs> it, it looked great, to be honest. And... Uh big engine eh? it's uh insane to be honest how someone can can get herself through such such a pain barrier in a way it was um it was great to see how she was able to manifest herself at the front um and and also the way you know little track tried to to play the tactics it was not not the most perfect way of of, of playing it out but they definitely gave it a shot and it, it looked quite good and you know it's with with the way her cyclocross season went, I have to say that I was a little bit in doubt how how it would play out on the road. To be honest, I not that I thought that it would go completely wrong or something, but I I didn't know if Omlop was going to be a little bit too soon. But <laughs> apparently it wasn't. And um, you know, you said Kopecky was talking about that there is still some percentages that can be added. That is for most of the riders. They are all going to be a little bit better in the next most of them at least <laughs> in the next couple of, of of weeks so that that is also going to be the case for van Androoy most likely and i feel that as you said the the pace climbs is for her maybe a little bit better but the way she was riding in in omloop you know i think that there is definitely also a, a, some potential on, on the on the the cobble climbs and i think that there is you know on a good day, you never know what you what you can do with the tactics. If if Longo Borghini is also going to be up there and they can can play something out, who knows? But very promising the way she was racing there up the front, and great to see her up there. The difficulty in that group was that Little Trek had the two slowest riders and also the two weakest riders. So Volsan Kopecki had more in the tank, and well, it was maybe a bit weird that Van Androoy and Longo Borghini took turns for like two kilometers. I think that was due to the fact that there's no radio communication between Bosberg and Muir because the cars take a deviation. And what they didn't know was that Vibus was not in the group behind. I think they thought, oh, we just saw the group behind us. They're not too far back. And Vibus is in there. So if we want any chance of victory, we need to have a lead big enough because they're just going to wait for Vibus to come back because Kopecki had worked for Vibus before. Nevertheless, in that group, there was no Vibus. There was Puck Pietersen. She's doing her second season of road racing. This year, doing a bit more races than last year. She also made a good impression to me. Some on the Muur, okay, she got dropped. Again, for Pietersen, the same as for Van Andelwey. I don't think cobalt climbs are really, really her thing. Obviously, she won't be horrible at it, but not the best thing she shines in. It, it looked good. She was up there, but also signs of inexperience, especially leading up to the finale, the Muur van Gerardsberg and the Bosberg. Doing a bit too much work in that group with SD works, but I guess that's also why she's doing these races, is some, so she can gain some experience for when she really takes road serious. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, some 
will be um how can you say that a little bit um questionable well i mean not questionable but there are some riders that would have you know that would do less races and still be able to somewhat you know be 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 just that little bit more um trying to 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 not take a turn left or right and and, and not be at the front most of the time it's it's not something to do with being smarter but just like in the race making sure that you conserve a little bit more towards the end and i feel especially I, what is it i think the section between berendries and and the muir the way she was racing there was um interesting i would say and also between bosberg and and, and muir it was a lot of energy uh, being spent there and I, I you know it was um interesting uh, but super strong and as you said it's it's definitely not her strongest uh part being um you know the, the coupled climbs but she she held her own quite well in my opinion and i feel that if she you know does a little more racing and they have you know the the staff there at, at phoenix de koenig they will definitely tell her a little bit uh, to calm down during the races and make sure that you uh, try to let other riders also take initiative um, because eventually that is sometimes you know it's the little margins that could get you a position or two ahead um, in the standings just by being that tiny bit more conservative with your energy and and, and not taking that many turns could really help the and, and save the day so I feel that the way she raced in Omloop for someone that maybe doesn't even take the road that serious, it was a it was a great great opening um, season uh, race for her in a way, and you know with with Strade coming up, which is something that suits her a little bit better. It's going to be interesting to see what she can do there. Yeah, I look forward to Strade. It should be good. A few more cyclocross riders in the women's race. We had Sylvia Persico leading the UAE team. She, I think there was a, there were a couple of big crashes. She was behind one of them. I don't remember which one, and that was game over for her. And I mean, I do have to say this: Talita de Jong, fifth place, former cyclocross world champion, hasn't done cross in a while. Had a very, very, very rough patch after that. Man, what a ride. Fifth place there. She says it's not even close to her peak form at the moment or the type of race where she wants to excel. It's just a wonderful story. It's so nice. I just couldn't not tell it because she had that rough patch after that world title. She hopped from team to team. Experza didn't go well. Did she get... No, she wasn't the one that got fired there. That was Ribeiro or Bakker, but... Anyway, things didn't go well, and then she rebuilt herself, and then she got in live racing in 2022. Made progression, was pretty good last year. This is definitely a step up again, but Liv merged with Jayco, and she didn't get picked to make the merger team. And now she's racing for Continental Lotto Destiny, really a team without any presence in women's cycling. I mean, they have Katalina de Klerk, but... It's not the big. It's not the team they are on the men's side. The women's team is a continental team. It's really a small, small team. You hardly see them, and therefore the young to go there and perform. It's just a fairy tale story, and I wanted to mention that before we went to talk about the men's side. Uh, Van der Poel has announced he's starting a season in Milan San Remo. We'll talk about that some other time because apparently this guy Van Aert won Kuna Brussels Kuna today. 
He's yet to go on altitude camp, was third in Omloop with Nieuwsblad. Pretty uh, good start for Van Aert of course, with Visma. Lisa bike has been dominating the opening weekend. Tratnik winning yesterday, 1-3. There were three men in a leading group of six. Today, Van Aert just dictated. Kuhner, Brussels, Kuhner took the win. Laporte sprints to fourth. Uh, it's too easy for that team. Yeah, but 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 not the way I expected it in a way, and I feel that that you know in the end for sure they they dominated and did their thing and and played around with uh, with the other riders. But especially if you look at Omloop, that is a race that could have ended a little bit differently. But eventually there was Stratnik and there was a a great news bullet that wanted to to help him out there and. That that was that was how that went, and you know, Kuhn, it was almost as if Van Aert heard that there were some people doubting him when he was uh, <laughs> when he was dropped by by Schoenz, uh, at the Omloop, and and wanted to show uh, show himself that he is uh, <laughs> definitely um, you know one of the one of the better, if not the best, rider. Definitely currently with that field that was racing there in Kuhn, Um and the way he raced that was just. A display of power and 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 you know we know that he is capable of doing that you know it's just now it's going to be the question is he going to be able to do that at the Ronde van Vlaanderen the Tour of Flanders that is that is that is what's going to matter but for now it looks looks quite good and you know he's going to do his attitude training I guess and then next race for him is going to be Adrie Harelbeke yeah that's you know yeah yeah whatever that race is called it's change name a, name a bunch of times but yeah the a3 price is what it will be and i think that attack from skuyens was super important in omlo because yes there were moments that visma could have lost that race but numerically they were able to pay their advantage for a large part but then when skuyens dropped that nuclear attack all of a sudden they were like whoa wait van aert couldn't close this what's going on here are we actually sure we can like wait until the muur or are we just going to be dropped by skuyens and look like fools so then they needed to play their numbers and the cooperation was gone and for Jorgensen doing a 30-ish K solo was too much of an ask because he'd done a lot of work before. So that definitely played a role in be in allowing the peloton to come back from such a position but collectively the team is strong as ever and today in Kuna there was no doubt as well from 20 men group they were there with six riders from a 10-man group they were there with five riders or something like that before Van Aert went they were really really up there and as you said Van Aert today in Kuna just too good he he decided who were who would be allowed to follow him he chose uh, Tim Wellens who I believe is pretty good friends with Van Aert and uh, Lascano who's a workhorse so yeah, it's looking good, and of course, it's going to be about the Tour of Flanders and Paris Roubaix for him. That's the type of rider he is. He's put that pressure on himself as well, and then I don't mean that pressure by skipping the cyclocross worlds. He's put that pressure on himself by saying those are the two races he wants to win, and we'll see what it comes from this year. But obviously, Van Aert, he is a great rider, so we'll see what comes from it. Pitcock also raced Omloop. This is his only cobalt classic of the season. He was up there in the group with Van Aert, Laporte, uh, Skuyens, uh, Dili was there. Probably forgetting a name, but they were up there. Yeah, I'm forgetting Jorgensen. Those six leaders. Pitcock was there, but got dropped. It wasn't uh, really his day, but it's also fine that it wasn't his day. He showed some form in Algarve earlier where Van Aert won a stage. 
But for Pitcock, the goals are further down the road. This season, he's definitely choosing what he wants to do. He's not going to try the Flemish and Ardennes. He's going all in on the Ardennes, which I think is a wise decision. He's just not good enough on the cobbled climbs and that's a weakness he can fix in the future but good that he doesn't try to do that in a season where he also wants to become olympic champion mountain biking we'll talk about the mountain bike a bit more also about the plans of peterson we went over it in our pre-podcast discussion that we don't think she's going to do the world cups in brazil but we'll come to that down the road maybe after strada because this podcast is pre- getting pretty long would like to mention two more riders uh, Blackmore, Joseph Blackmore, raced in Tour de Rwanda, took the win there, former cyclocross rider, I think it's a shame he's focusing on the road now, obviously it's not unjustified, he's on the Israel development team, won that stage race there ahead of a couple of other talents, can't blame him for that, but it's obviously annoying and a shame for the sport to see riders like Blackmore and in that regard also Ben Turner shifting away from cross completely to focus on the road and not trying to combine it, which I mean... In, in the way cross is formed at the moment it makes sense but this is just something that will need to be tackled in the future if they want to give the sport a more international yeah a more international look i think uh, with that we can end it isam i hope we didn't forget anything i tried to cover everything as best as possible this weekend but i also had a bit of work to do this morning so uh Yeah, my apologies if I missed anything, but uh, thank you for being here, and hopefully you'll get rid of the remainders of your illness this week. <laughs> yeah, thank you uh, for that, and I hope that it clears up. I think it's already on 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 a very good way, so the health is 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 getting better and better. But uh, yeah, thank you for having me, and I think we <laughs> we definitely did our best to cover everything that we could, and uh, yeah, I think next week uh, or next weekend, Strasbourg. Yeah, definitely 50 podcasts this season for 50 cyclocross weekends. Uh, well, not really weekends, but uh, races, uh, interviews, and the whole micmac. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And, yeah, we'll be back next week uh, for Strade Bianche. And then normally after that, at some point, we just disappear for a while and occasionally come back. But this year, for real, I'm going to try and uh, be more, more reliable in... Uh, updating the podcast during the off season which normally also gets me doing a bunch of other things but yeah thanks everyone for listening thanks for the support this season and we will be back soon goodbye